0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: And this is good for the folks that are thinking about shopping for themselves. Do you have a lot of tools in the toolkit for doing your own work, for making those requests? Because if you find that in times of stress or uncertainty that you're like, going to sources of power, going to authorities, going to the boss, and being like, help me, fix me, solve me, navigate me, Mm -hmm. that's a clue that you might not be ready. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: On today's episode, we're also joined by friend and colleague, Allie Randall welcome to the show.
2: Hello. Thank you.
0: Today, we're going to talk about how to sense if a candidate is right for your self-managing system or the counterexample: how to decide if you're right for a self-managing system. But before we get into that, we are, of course, going to check in.
2: For today's check-in round, I was inspired by our topic. And the question is, when is the last time you learned something about yourself that surprised you? Because in self-management, you learn all sorts of things about yourself (laughs) (laughs) as you're navigating it. And we will start. Let's see. Aaron, we'll start with you, and then I'll go, and then we'll move to Rodney.
0: Interesting. Well, I guess for me, this is a physical one. Because as I mentioned before we got on the show, I have my first continuous glucose monitor installed in my arm. And I am learning that my body is doing things about food that I was not aware of. Like it is getting ready for breakfast before breakfast starts. It is <laughs> reacting to foods that I thought were healthy in a way that is super scary. So I am, I am I am relatively healthy, but I am learning how to be healthier.
2: What came to mind for me, two, two things. One, on the personal front, During the pandemic, I have found that I am more of a nester than I expected. I have gotten a lot more joy out of bruising things like curtains and rugs (laughs) and tables than I ever would have expected. And more related to self-management, I've learned in the past year that I'm much higher anxiety than I realized, which has been a funny journey. I have found that I've been really good at stuffing anxiety down, but it is still very present, which has been a good aha.
1: Nice. Nice. For me, I would say I have recently learned that I do in fact have a limit. So, and what I mean by that is I have historically been quite good at pushing through and sort of muscling through difficult situations, burnout situations, the stacking on of crises and, you know, overload. And recently between pandemic Workload and uh, health issue in my family. I'm just like, you know what? I'm out. Like, I have no more <laughs> resilience to give here. And the the good thing about it is that what has not accompanied that for the first time ever in my life is any sense of guilt. And so maybe mm. it's just a question of the world has to be a literal dumpster fire to, for me to like give myself permission to actually tap out. But it is possible for me to tap out and be like. That's as much as I have, folks. I'm going to bed at 9. And that's kind of where I'm at (laughs) right now.
0: Well, that's, you know, exciting and challenging.
1: (laughs) It's terribly depressing and also quite freeing. So today's topic is... (laughs) Self-management, managing yourself right to bed to sleep 12 hours a night so that you can cope with the next day. What we are going to talk about is sort of both sides, as Aaron alluded to. So if you're a team that is moving in this direction, either because you want to and it's grand or because you've had to because COVID... Or if you're an individual that thinks this seems neato and wants to seek out organizations that have more of this way of working, this is the episode for you. So, Ali, I wanted to start by just asking you what's uh, in best Jerry Seinfeld voice, what is the deal
2: with self management right now? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What is the deal? Like you mentioned, with everything going on in the world and many organizations having no choice, but to go to some form of remote work, some form of self management is kind of just a fact, right? And you're either going to do it well, or you're not going to do it well, but it Mm -hmm. is going to happen on some level because you just have no other choice. You can't be a helicopter boss when you've got people working from their homes, working from different locations. And so I think this is a timely moment to really talk about what does a good version of that look like? And even if you're not trying to go 100% to self-management, how can you still set the stage for people to be able to do what they need to do in a way that's really effective and gets everyone what they need?
0: What's interesting to me about this moment in time that you kind of alluded to there, Ali, is that while in the past, we might have made an episode about how to find people that are a good fit for your self-managing system and one in 10 or two in 10 organizations would be like, yeah, that kind of applies to me. Now it's this, it's this reality that you kind of need people that are capable of that, whether that's how you operate or not. You want people that can come into your system at whatever level of bureaucracy and hierarchy it entails and kind of run their own play. And so I think it's actually, it's become this this thing that everybody has to deal with. And I just don't think that we have Historically, had the tools in our hiring processes, our recruiting and interviewing processes, to even identify what makes someone that is capable of, you know, self-managing effective in a system. What's a good way to screen for that? What's a good way to talk about it? And then on the other side of the coin, if you are shopping, if you are a candidate, is this for you? Right? Should you join a company like the Ready? And what what will help you have confidence that you'll be successful? Mm
2: -hmm. And I think a a really cool nuance, you know, you described looking for new people who fit with self management. And in this moment in time, there are a lot of people that you've just already got. Right, And so how do you make it work for them? Or how do you set a stage for people to discover whether they can fit into that way of working when they haven't been? And I'm really curious, Ronnie, on on your take on all of this as well.
1: Yeah. So actually kind of going back to my semi-depressing answer to the check-in round, I think that I've seen for real in clients recently is a version of what I've described, which is people who were historically more concerned about approval or about external sort of kudos or about getting Mm -hmm. bosses approvals or getting a lot of people's inputs. Like as people are stretched more and more thin, either just through emotional tax or taking care of their kids while they're trying to learn online mm-hmm. or and you know any number of the other versions of things we talked about on this podcast and seen in the world, I think people are finding more courage just out of necessity. So things <laughs> that were like <laughs> nice to haves before in terms of being political or sort of navigating the culture, people are kind of like, yeah, dude, I don't have time for that shit right now. Like I got a baby crying in the other room. My mom's staying with me. I'm worried oh, about no. this fucking COVID test. Like I just... I just can't do it. So I'm just going to send this email. I'm just going to ship it. I'm just going to deploy it. I'm just going to do the thing. And that creates its own kind of tension. But I think what's interesting in this moment is that there is something more essential about a lot of people's behavior. And I think we're mm-hmm. seeing the the sort of the, the spark in people around this vibe that was sort of like plastered over before by how they behaved and showed up in more bureaucratic systems.
0: So those are the people that are accommodating and getting fed up. Who are the people that are just thriving in this in this moment or in a self-managing environment in general? What kinds of traits or characteristics would you call out?
1: One thing I want to just point out before we go a minute further is I want Allie to take the first crack at that one, in part because she is great in a self-managed environment and in part because she is the architect of the Ruddy's training for our own internal folks, which I just want True our fact. listeners to have that context because so much of what she's teaching people when they come on board is not just about the content and the way we do our work out in the world, but it is about how we actually navigate and manage ourselves.
2: So that's just my little PSA mm-hmm. about the hat that Ali wears in terms <laughs> of all of this and her expertise. Thanks for sharing that context. Yeah. I mean, the question of who's thriving in this moment and also what we've learned from our personal experiences at The Ready, people who don't necessarily like being told what to do or don't require being told what to do, but do really like learning from people. I feel like that's a nuance that sometimes is lost, right? Because you can be sort of an anarchist and have a problem with authority and still be really bad at (laughs) self-management. If you're not trying and really interested in learning from other people, that's something I've noticed that particularly at the ready, but also at clients has been really crucial And to the question, like, has led to thriving, like people who are just hungry to learn Mm. from a place of wanting to grow and explore, not from like anxiety about what to do. Mm.
1: Yeah, I would add to that. There's a thing that I think a lot about in our projects together, Allie, which is when you're a disruptor in a system, or you're working like we are in clients, or you're working in your own self managed system. There is a thing to be developed in terms of being critical of your own work but also being Mm -hmm. confident in your own work. And it's a weird balance (laughs) where because you don't always get a lot of external signal in a self-managing system, it's like you can't have the arrogance to just be like, everything I do is awesome because A, it's not, and B, you'll never get better, to your point about learning from other people. But also, Mm -hmm. you sort of have to have enough center and confidence and swagger to be willing to put stuff out there and be like, this is good enough, and I will stand by it, because you're not going to have the pre-validation that you get in more theatrical environments where 15 people have looked at your thing before it sees the light of day.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a really great point. It's like to thrive in self-management, you do need there's like a floor of centeredness and just self-confidence that you need to be able to weather all of the other kinds of ambiguity and like potential triggers of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, and if you don't have that centeredness, it's really hard to feel grounded enough to navigate all of the other stuff that just isn't going to be clear. And I, I think there's something to that as well, where you need that, you need that centeredness And almost that sense of value and identity, a little bit separate from your work. almost Mm -hmm. Totally. Because when when it's completely wrapped up, it makes it that much harder to not get the clear signal and to be wondering and learning if you're doing things right and not having a person who is there to tell you definitively yes or no.
0: I like the idea of a floor and I would extend the metaphor to the ceiling too, right? Because there's also (laughs) this limit of like like you said, that humility, that openness, that hunger for more, more insight, more learning, more feedback. So yeah, you want to have this, it's a Goldilocks problem, like so many things in org design, you want to have this right fit where I have a level of confidence and, and and ability and capability that I'm like, ready to play, and I'm ready to ship and I'm ready to do. And then I have this limit on my arrogance and my self obsession, <laughs> that I can still be open to what may come. And the people that have that tuned in, are just so fun to work with. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. really true. And I think the the hedge on the lack of sort of signal or reinforcement that sometimes can make self-management feel quite lonely, the, the great upside, the great trade-off and what you get with that is largely an ability to get your needs met if you can identify what they are and ask for them. So whereas in in other systems, it's exactly the inverse, right? Other people tell us what we're worth, what our value is, what our bonus is, what our performance rating is, whether we're ready to be promoted, et cetera, et cetera. In self-management, we have very little of that. But what we do have is the ability for me to say to you guys, you know, what I really need from you is actually like some mm-hmm. emojis when I post something on Slack because I feel like I'm shouting into the <laughs> void and it fucking bums me out. And you guys can be like, yeah, yeah I'm not going to do that. Or you can okay. be like, fair enough. we'll We'll take care of that for you because it's a need that you've expressed and 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 we're happy to. So it's like to me, that's yes. sort of the trade-off, but you have to be willing to play with that trade-off mm-hmm. and not expect that you're gonna get both.
2: Yeah. And I was just having a conversation the other day with one of our newer members about that that role of self-advocacy. And also again, like the Goldilocks problem of you to thrive, you need to feel comfortable and lean into advocating for yourself and also not do it from a place of assuming or asserting that you are right in a binary way but advocating yourself from a place of like my my experience and my perspective and my emotions in this moment are important and valuable data and here's what I'm taking from it and hey other self-managing folks hey system can you help me with this and then see where it takes you which i think has been for me personally one of the most rewarding things to learn And grow into in my time self-managing. And also it can be really hard to understand that difference between I'm right, listen to me. And I'm advocating to try and figure out like a way forward that works. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And then you add to that, the idea of you do have to solve your own problems. So it's like, Mm -hmm. not only do you need to have strong convictions loosely held and advocate for a way, but one of the most common downfalls that we've seen in our own system are people just serving up the things that they believe we're all doing wrong and being like, someone should fix this. And it's like, bad news, folks. Nobody's gonna. If they don't care about it, you know, the number of conversations that I've had with people in their first year who are like, you should really know that this thing is broken. I'm like, I know that it's broken and it's not that I don't care or I don't care about your experience, but like I have eight jobs already. So if that's a job that you would like to do, knock yourself out. If you want to wait for me to do it, you might be waiting for a while. So, you know, (laughs) feedback taken. And that's that again, it's like the Goldilocks problem of have opinions. Be open to other solutions and understand that, like, others are not going to solve your problems for you.
2: Mm-hmm. Man, we do ask um, a lot. <laughs> we, well, and
1: <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> we, we,
2: we really do. And I was just to that point, Ronnie, I was just about to go to the flip side of the coin for the Goldilocks problem because we do ask a lot. And I think something that we, like the ready for sure is on the hook for and learning how to do is creating the other side of that jigsaw puzzle. So both, you know, both fit together. And we, we are on our own sort of Goldilocks journey as a, as a business and as an organization of what do we, and what should we put in place for people so that it really isn't on them at the beginning and how Mm -hmm. do we do our own exploration of the data from our new members and, and sort of sort and experiment, like what of that turns into a system level play or or experiment or support and what of that do we put back on the new people and I think we've been learning a lot about that lately like even even all of the energy we've invested into training lately and I think similar with hiring right like we've realized we we do owe it to new people and we can't expect of them to figure all of this stuff out it's on us to make a lot of things explicit it's on us to do our own sort of questioning of like where do we think we're right but we've heard this we've heard this problem a lot so maybe we're not as right as we thought which i like i don't think we have a right answer still but i i do think that's something that any organization considering this shift is going to have to really pay attention to. Because it's similar to you know how we coach clients and leaders. You can't just throw people into, quote, empowerment or throw people, quote, into like centralized authority. There's a lot of scaffolding that you have to build. And so it's both, right? Which, which is tricky and also really hard to learn when you're coming into it.
0: And I think that's totally fair. But I almost want to roll the clock back and say, before we onboard, before we train, before we make the environment more nurturing, we do have to make choices about who we bring in. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about the interview process, are there things that you explicitly, either of you ask or watch out for that would help you identify folks that will thrive with that extra support?
1: So one, one point to make, and I would love to hear Ali' your view on this from a training perspective, but both in the hiring process and how we've designed it and how we're iterating it and in terms of training, from what I understand, more than what we are asking, we are simulating the experience of self-managing through the hiring process. So our hiring process is not easy. It is not difficult for the sake of difficulty, but it requires effort and engagement and participation to make it through just like working at the ready does. So our hiring process, unlike a more traditional hiring process where it's like someone is going to hold your hand and sort of do a lot of making sure, making sure you're Mm -hmm. prepared, making sure the interviewers have what they need, making sure, making sure, making sure. Our interview process is very self-serve for the interviewers, for the screeners, and for the candidates. And What we found so far, and like I'm quite literally touching wood, y'all, because you know, we have a few data points and they're looking pretty good so far, (laughs) is that when people get through that process that requires their participation and engagement and performance, they are much more able to play immediately because they don't show up being like, who's here to hold my hand and make sure that I'm successful and comfortable. They've entered the way that they're going to play. And so mm-hmm. we've. I've been, as sort of like the steward of hiring, I've been more focused on that than I have necessarily around asking like particular questions or gathering particular pieces of data, though that is also an important aspect of selection.
2: Yeah, I think it's almost, and I completely agree with you, Rodney, and I can go into a little bit how we're doing the same sort of simulating in training, but even just starting with the the hiring and interview process, it's less like what specific questions do you ask and what specific answers are you looking for? And more like, what do you notice about the way people react to and interact with this space, this combination of structure and open space? And like, do they lean into it? Are they excited by it? Are they scared of it? When they ask questions, is it to play together or is it to get that to get that comfort and to have you make sure that they're going to do it right. And so those are the kind of patterns that you know when when I'm interviewing someone that's what I'm looking for. And then when they, you know, they make it through that and they're in training, the way we've designed training is, you know, both there's some set content that people have to consume, that people have to play with, and there's a lot of self-management, right? Like you need to figure out when you're going to read that stuff, when you're going to do this work. It's on you to ask me for specific help outside of the sessions if you need it. This time around, we have a little cohort, which I'm very excited about. And it is up to them to design their little cohort op rhythm outside mm-hmm. of our training sessions, right? There are certain things that ask them to collaborate and it's up to them whether they decide to make that a recurring weekly slot to make it easier or not. Um, it's up to them to lean into using tools like Slack and Notion and Google Drive or not. And so as the training steward, I'm not necessarily telling them exactly how to do it. I'm teaching them about how we do it at clients and I'm role modeling using those things. And then I'm paying attention to how they play with that and how quickly they pick it up. Or if they're a little confused, if they ask directly, you know, those questions that are on their mind and Mm -hmm. and the things that seem like red flags to me are When I only find out that someone's been wondering about something because we happen to have a one-on-one and it came out, I I think that to me is the biggest red flag is when I, either when people are holding tensions and then I find out they've been holding a whole bunch of stuff through a (laughs) one-on-one when there are all of these other forums to take advantage of, or when they are, if they advocate from a place of I'm right, this doesn't make sense, or advocating from a place of, you haven't done your job because yeah. I'm not sure right. what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, and there's a really productive version of that. Like there's another new member who gave us really good feedback of like, I'm just not sure if I'm grokking things the way I need to. And it was like, great. Part of that is always going to be on you. And part of <laughs> that can be us defining first steps to mastery and giving you an asset to to help you with that. But we're not going to take you all the way there. And so that sort of dialogue and like openness to dialogue and leaning in is what I'm looking for as people are going through training.
0: It just highlights the importance of being able to basically make and receive requests. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, can you make them? Can you hear them? Can you say yes to them and no to them? Can you voice what's going on for you? Which is like one part noticing and sense making. And one part, you know, just practicing a life full of candor and openness and, again, having that that floor level of comfort with self and, and general psych safety to be like, I'm going to put myself out there and say that I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's on me. Maybe it's on you. We'll find out, but we'll only find out by talking about it. So I'm going to talk about it.
1: And one pro tip along this line, I really like that you both brought that bit up is when, if if you're interviewing to be in a self-managing place or you're trying to move this way as a team and you're trying to figure out what some of the moves are that break old and unhelpful patterns, when you ask really with curiosity, that's great, and Notice when you're asking a question to learn how to ask it just like directly and not be defended about it. It's like, don't do a lot of exposition. Don't do a lot of like, I should have probably maybe known this, but I'm not really sure, blah, blah, blah. Don't do it from a perspective of like, this person is going to interpret this question in this way. And so I have to pre apologize or give a bunch of context. Like, part of articulating needs Mm -hmm. is articulating them clearly and directly and being able to say, Ali, I didn't understand what you meant by create an operating rhythm. Not Ali, you might not be explaining this the right way, or Ali, I don't mean to offend, like just ask your question. It's one of the things that mm-hmm. to me when I see a group get really clear on that is one of the most consistent markers of high trust, high psychological safety and speed is that we can just ask questions undefended very articulately. Say just say
2: the thing. That is so true. And <laughs> <laughs> just, to <underscore, laughs> just to underscore, like one, that is something to learn and lean into and practice if you are opting into some form of self-management. And I think if, if you are on the other side of that and you're trying to shift or build a team that does that, like you really need to put in the work, to role model it,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: You need to do that all the time, and if you don't need to do it, you need to be, be aware that you're not, and say that you're not, and you need to put in the work to build a system and environment that invites people into psych safety. Like you can't make anyone feel psychologically safe, but you can give them reason reasons not to feel unsafe, <laughs> and so. While there's a lot that is on the person, I think the the other side of that coin is looking at all of the things you can do that makes it as easy as possible, even though it's still hard for the person to to do those things and to lean into it because it's always going to be tough. But how, how can you lower the barrier so that you can really see people shine and see like when you've lowered the barrier, what can they do rather than mm-hmm. leaving the space for it to be put on the, the failures of the system? Because then, then it's really hard to know what's going on if someone isn't really thriving.
0: It's funny because now you're making me want to gear shift from feelings into energy. So, that you know that was a lot about <laughs> feels. and and what the other thing that I've noticed about self-managing systems, about being a person in one is that there's a lot of energy flows, right? Yeah. Who's taking energy, who's giving energy, et cetera. So I'm curious how each of you perceive that in a hiring process, in screening, but also just in the day-to-day existence of a place like this,
2: Yeah, I think, it is particularly important also when you're talking about a marketplace model, right? Because energy has a huge influence on whether you want to work with someone, uh, regardless of all the other stuff going on. But what what I'm what that brought up for me, Erin, is even thinking about like when we say energy, what really are we talking about? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking about that because even just recently I, I interviewed someone and my experience was both of low energy on the call, but also of leaving the call with more energy than I had coming in. Hmm. And so I had to really evaluate like, what, what was that that I was experiencing? And when I am perceiving low energy, like what... What is the behavior that's having that influence on me? And is that even what really happened? If I leave a call feeling higher energy than when I entered, and it's just something, it's its an interesting thing to explore because when we talk about energy, it can feel very ambiguous. But if we look at the behaviors associated with how we feel, the energy that we feel coming at us or that we're bringing, you can, I think you can get it kind of concrete.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are people that we interview and people who have been in our system and and probably some who are now where it for me it's not at all a skill set thing or even really a style thing but i they're just the people that i see the thing on the calendar and i'm like whoo here we go mm-hmm,
2: all right mm-hmm.
1: and there are <laughs> and there are the conversations and partnerships that just never feel that way. And right. I think I think a thing to notice in terms of self-management is that that is not necessarily an objective critique of any individual and in how they show mm-hmm. up. It's very much about what your chemistry is and what your interaction is. And we have to be careful about that in terms of bias and sameness and not just hiring for the people who we feel like we have a shorthand with, but on the other right. side I find that there are people who I think and look very differently than who I'm incredibly energized by because our particular Mm -hmm. alchemy just makes it bursty and it makes it additive and it makes it poppy. And certainly I feel that way about both of you where anything that I do with either of you or the three of us do together is going to be greater than the sum of its parts, just like it is going to. And so that's really what I'm looking for in those interactions is not someone to come like hype and like MC, which I think is a thing that people get confused about. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, some of the most energizing interactions that I've had with new members in the last couple of years are people who have slower pace and a more relaxed vibe than I do. So they don't show up hype, but our interaction is quite energizing in terms of prompting new thinking and momentum around ideas and, you know, just, just something behind action.
0: It's, it's a multi-dimensional thing for me. Cause I would say I definitely, I feel and resonate everything that you both just said. And I, I am like a big believer in it and I'm also untrusting of it. Because Mm. I feel like there are things about it that I'm noticing are more movable than I thought they were. So, there's each person's individual energy, just kind of like the frequency they run on. And whether that is very effusive and ebullient and excited or like a downer or skeptical or like everyone has their own vibe. And then like you said, there's this alchemy, which is like what happens when I put A and B together? Mm -hmm. So, then you sense something going on there. And then there, the thing that, I've, that I'm more skeptical of that I've noticed lately in myself is there's all these extra circumstantial things like how well did I sleep last night? Mm. How fed am I? Like what else is going on in the world? And then sometimes I'll come out of an, of, of an interaction with an individual or with a group of individuals and be like, oh, that was so low energy. And then I'll talk to someone else that was in it and they were like, that was so high energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a second what was really going on there? Were they evaluating our alchemy differently? Were they having a like, did they sleep really well last night? And I didn't. And so I've started to, it's not that I don't listen to it. But I've started to ask it more questions, like, Mm -hmm. what, Mm -hmm. what was going on? Why was it going on? And how much of a pattern is there? Because again, if it's 10 interactions in a row where I feel drained after the interaction, that's a that is a headline. But if it's one interaction, that's bad, and I felt shitty about it, sometimes I might just like DM you and be like, was that shitty? Right. And and if you're like, no, I feel better immediately. I'm like, oh, cool. All right, great. Maybe it wasn't.
1: We've had interactions like that. I feel like in the last couple of months where you've been like, was that a bummer? And I'm like, no, dude, I I was, it was all good for my, for my. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I'm, and I'm just like paper macheing it with my own bullshit.
1: Well, and part (laughs) of that is, is how, so, so just to sort of shift maybe into if you're someone who thinks you might want to work in a team like this, what to be looking for, like that is the kind of self work that I think you really have to do. So, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, just knowing sort of what state I'm in emotionally right now and that it does not feel like I have a lot of gas in the tank, I'm just like not really calling people back right now. Because what I Mm -hmm. know is that even though there are a lot of people who are checking in on us right now and leaving me really lovely messages and offers to help and things like that, I don't have enough extra stuff, as much of an extrovert as I am, to show up to those conversations and not have them be draining and and even in terms of work, like Ali will, as Ali will attest, there have been a bunch of things in the last couple of weeks where normally two of the three of us would go, and I've been like, "Can I just skip this?" Because I have the energy to do solo work and thinking work, but I just don't have a lot of like extra performative energy. And right, part of showing up in a self-managing team again is expressing that need, but part of it is just being clear on this is a me problem. Like this is not. My team's problem. This is not the client's fault. This is not about the messages that I got. This is me showing up the way I am right now in the world. And to the extent that I can alter the world around me so that I can show up at my best, I'm going to do that. But I'm not going to try to get the world to conform Mm -hmm. to my bad mood or think that like my perception of this is true.
0: Well, and I think what we're both tapping into there, and this is good for the folks that are thinking about shopping for themselves, is... Do you have a lot of tools in the toolkit for doing your own work, for tuning into yourself, for navigating what you need and don't need for making those requests? Because if you find that in times of stress or uncertainty or confusion or what have you, that you're like, going to sources of power, going to authorities, going to the boss, going to, you know, parental figures and being like, help me, fix me, solve me, navigate me. Mm -hmm. That's a clue that you might not be ready, right? That you're going to find it really frustrating because when those figures don't exist, or when you see them as a mirage and you come ask them, I mean, many, many times in my career as kind of like a founder in a self-managed system, people will come to me with their problem to solve. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not my job here. Like I do, that's not, that's not a thing that we do. And so it's even though part of me wants to help and part of me feels like the old paradigm is, well, of course you have to fix your own house. It's like, well, this is more of a habitat for humanity.
2: Yeah. And I think that's where the parsing, it's like, well, maybe a sliver of this is my job. If you're hinting at a system design failure, that's making this harder for you. But the rest of it is your own work. And I, I think something that can feel confusing to people, if you're joining something like the ready self-managing system where we are really committed to bringing, you know, your authentic self to work and for it to be okay to say that you're drained and not putting that on your teammates to help you work through those things, right? So you need to be committed to your own growth and development to be good at this work and to be an awesome team member. But it's not like the self-managing team and business doesn't exist for you to grow yourself or for you to personally develop, right? It's a different order of operations. And I think I would say probably at the ready over our lifespan, we've probably had a, at least a, a couple people who found that a little confusing or disorienting because it wasn't clear. Those expectations mm-hmm. and those boundaries weren't made explicit because we we hadn't done that work. And through through the experience of people it was like, oh, okay, this is actually a boundary here that wasn't explicit that it's important for us all to know and recognize and and to know what's ours and what to invest in and to know what is okay to to bring, you know, into the team and, and into the work you are doing.
1: While we're on this, I I feel like I'm so glad you brought this up, Allie. I to me it is something so essential about the perception versus the reality of self-management done right. And so I'm Mm -hmm. really interested to hear from you both sort of where you see those boundaries, where you see that nuance, because on the one hand, you know, we've all had the experience of telling people about self-management where they're like, it sounds like you're all fucking hippies. It's just like sit around and braid each other's hair, (laughs) smoke weed and sing kumbaya all day. And actually, no, like that's not it at all. And when we talk about getting Mm -hmm. needs met, we are neither talking about only staying in the realm of work, nor are we talking about like, constant group therapy. So what right. explicitly are we talking about?
0: <laughs> I think we're talking about the minimum viable thing, right? We're not a therapy circle. We're not a drum circle. And we're also not this fly-by-night, complete chaos environment. It is what is essential, right? And and also what can we accept, which I think is how you find what's essential. Because mm. the whole idea of consent, the whole idea of kind of making decisions as a participatory group is what can we all live with? And so the requests that we make of each other get met with either, I hear you and I can do it, or I hear you and I can't do it, you need to find another way to get your need met. And, and we're all basically in this process of playing like a game of Connect Four of what needs of mine can I get met at work? What needs of mine can I get met by the ready by different members of my team? And what needs do I have to meet in other ways? And it's just like this it's this ever-evolving tapestry of relationships, right, which is essentially what a complex human system is, where each, each bond has its own terms and its own, you know, boundaries and its own stretching. And so you and I, Rodney, have a different set of expectations and requests than I have with other members, and I have other boundaries and conditions with other members, right? That every relationship is sort of defined individually, which I think is very different from the traditional system where boss is a boss is a boss and you're Mm -hmm. like your skip level one-on-one is kind of like you know what that's going to be and what it's going to cover
2: yeah i completely agree that it's an ever-evolving thing and where my mind goes is well what really are the outcomes that you're going for and that will inform the boundaries that you draw and to your point, Erin, you probably have a different set of outcomes or things that you're working toward depending on like the group of people or the piece of work that you're thinking of. So for example, Rodney and I are on a project team. We have certain outcomes we're trying to achieve for the client. We have set the context where it's also okay to talk about personal growth outcomes. We've made agreements around what accountability is what we want to hold each other to. And I would not expect someone outside of my project team to help me with the growth I'm working on related to the, the client transformation work we're doing. Right. That is not an agreement that we have made that has nothing to do with the outcome that person is working toward. And so I, I think yeah it's very it's very context dependent and also if you if you think about Apples from a place of what's the value we're creating often those will be work impact centered right if you're if you're mm-hmm. talking about a business which which also makes it very clear that that's what you're working toward you're not working toward you know self-disclosure for self-disclosure or intimacy' sake mm-hmm. when when you're with your teammates which is a very different sort of relationship
1: I think that's so true you all said the things, really, that were on my mind. The only thing to, I want to add, and I'm not even exactly sure how to say this, is there is something that feels very consent-oriented around this, Aaron, to your point. Mm-hmm. And, and the flip side of that is the discipline to hold yourself back from mm-hmm. overdoing, overworking, oversharing. So I've been, in, I've been in dynamics with people, particularly at the ready over the years, where I'm like, I didn't ask for your coaching. And mm-hmm. I don't want to get into this with you. And you didn't ask me if I was willing to do this coaching. And now you're just showing up here, sobbing, wanting to talk about your dad. And I did not say (laughs) yes to that. You know, (laughs) We need to have an agreement if that's work we're going to do together. And I'm mostly saying that out loud because for those of us who get into this kind of work, where we want to make the world a more human place, it is quite difficult to draw those boundaries in the moment where you're like, Mm -hmm. hey, this isn't the deal. This isn't, the agreement that we have. This isn't the relationship we have. This is not Comfortable for me. And I don't mean it's not comfortable because I don't want your feedback. I mean, it's not comfortable because this doesn't feel bounded and it doesn't feel like our work together. And it's hard in the moments to recognize that that's mm-hmm. happening, to not show up as a hero or a savior, to not try to fix people, to not solve people's problems just because they serve them up to you. Because all of that shit is an ego bath, but it's a really yep. important part of being in a
2: self managing team. 100%. I I wrote, as I was thinking about this general topic, one of the things I wrote down to your point, Rodney, is you will thrive if you are really excited by fixing things, figuring things out. And also if you're open to working on yourself, you will not thrive if you are compelled to fix people or you want other people to fix you. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: That seems like a perfect place to draw this to a close. Ali, thank you so much for coming on. That was so much fun. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun too. Yeah. And for everybody out there, uh, please do leave us a review, pass our show around. And if you are an org designer who is looking for the most amazing self-managing team to join, we are hiring (laughs) stunning colleagues and we will put the link to our application process in the show notes.
0: As always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.